0: Welcome to CraftLit, the podcast for crafters who like books. My name is Heather Wardover, and I'm podcasting here from the glorious Hudson River Valley in the little village of Croton on Hudson, New York. Well, hello. I'm actually podcasting on Wednesday night because uh, Thursday is going to be an extraordinarily busy and probably a rather difficult day. I have a six-year-old son who's been having trouble at school and they've been assessing him, so tomorrow my husband is actually taking the day off work so that he and I can go and be told what the deal is at, um, at the school. So we're hoping for good news, but you know, Uh, I think it was Mel Brooks who said uh, hope for the best, expect the worst, life's a play where unrehearsed and um, words to live by. So that's why I'm recording Wednesday night. I'm also in a different room because we're moving furniture and and boxes and all sorts of craziness. We're going to have a giant tag sale on Saturday. So if there's a little echo in this room, it's because I'm in a big empty room and I apologize for that. I'll, I'll try and figure out uh, how to dampen uh, any echo that I'm getting um, next week. <clears throat> but here we are. I wanted to thank everybody who's left comments and who sent emails. It continues to both amaze and excite me. And I wanted to uh, lay down a bit of a challenge for you. I went on um, a A couple of weeks ago I talked about um, clutter and the problems with trying to uh, get through all of the piles of stuff so that you could actually see your house again and uh, someone wrote in and said that I should look at flylady.net and I posted that link before because it's a very helpful site. I have also, on a different web group that I belong to, heard about problems that people with ADD have with clutter. Now there's two different things. There's Attention Deficit Disorder which apparently I have, and then there's Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder which is an extra layer of problem on top of just the deficit. I don't seem to be hyperactive but I do seem to be a little scattered and I'm noticing that Flylady.net combats that kind of ADDness that evidently a lot of us have because Fly Lady is quite popular but as I've been reading Fly Lady and as I've been reading a book on organizing and ADD which I will post a link to I'll put, post a link to the book sorry one of the things that I've started thinking about is we who have stashes exhibit a lot of the tendencies that the book on ADD and problems organizing talks about. So I'm starting to wonder two things. One, when you knit or crochet or embroider or cross stitch or spin, especially when you're out in public, and and the things that I'm thinking of are like you're waiting in line at the post office and you're working on a pair of socks or you're sitting at the doctor's office and you're spinning on a drop spindle those kind of things when you're doing those out in the real world if you weren't able to do them would you explode <laughs> and i only i only sort of mean that as a joke i i know that my mom has um she shakes her foot back and forth you know she'll cross her legs and one foot will be constantly going and we've often thought, you know, if we held her foot down, would the rest of her body just start spinning out of control? My husband used to joke that the worst thing he could do to his little brother, who was a little hyper, was to actually hold his arms down at his sides and just wait for him to literally go nuts. So I'm starting to think, are are we the people who participate in handicrafts, sketching, you know, sketching, sewing, knitting, creating, but definitely something with our hands. Are we doing this as a way to deal with the fact that our brains are constantly, constantly, constantly going? And if so, here's part two, do you find that you need to do something, knitting, sewing, crocheting, doodling, if you're in a meeting at work? I find if I'm not knitting, I can't pay attention. I mean, uh, uh, that's not true. I can pay attention. I won't remember things as clearly. I have a much easier time remembering things if they're attached to my knitting. I don't know. I don't know if I'm a freak or if the rest of us are like that too. The third part of the question that I'm throwing out to you is this. If you're the kind of person who has a stash and if you have either Successfully fought or are trying to combat the encroaching clutterness of your home, what has worked for you? Because here's what I'd like to do next week's show notes, I want to copy and paste, with your permission, uh, really good ideas that you send in. Because I think it would be kind of nice to have a, a show notes that also has at the end of it kind of a clearinghouse of really good ideas that you think of when um, or or that you have experienced successfully uh, as a way to to uh, fight the clutter so that's the gauntlet I've thrown it down please write in with your brilliant ideas because so far everyone who's written in has had something really interesting to say and it's um god it's so much fun the second thing I wanted to complain about because clutter let's face it clutter is not that much fun the second thing I kind of wanted to complain about and I'm hoping that someone will write me and tell me that I have no reason to complain. That The solution is really very simple. I want to complain a bit because I'm having a horrible, horrible time finding a particular kind of book on knitting. I have found many books on patterns and types of patterns and knitting styles as far as patterns go from all over the world. But I have yet to find a book that is a knitting history that tracks where different knitting needle holds come from. I'm working on a book and I'm I'm having a very hard time with the research. I'm not going to be able to fly all over the planet and interview people so I'm kind of stuck. Not to mention the fact that I don't speak Estonian or Russian or French or German or Gaelic or Welsh. And although I know Scots speak English, when I was in Edinburgh and in Glasgow, which is where my family comes from, I couldn't understand a word anyone said to me and I felt so, so stupid. Maybe maybe I need a training course on listening to Scottish. I love the accent, but I, boy, I had a hard time. So that's my other challenge. If you know of any knitting books or encyclopedia articles or magazine articles, anything that describes, discusses, elucidates, waxes rhapsodic on the subject of how to hold knitting needles from various places. Please, please, please let me know. I'm really rather desperate and um, and it's been so frustrating. I'm not at a research university, so I don't have access to the research library anymore. Uh, I went to NYU to get my master's and that was great, but man, I got nothing now. All right, so that's what I'm complaining about. Now, now we can get on to Pride and Prejudice. Last week we did chapters 19, no, 18 and 19, and I wanted to apologize. I had originally tried to do chapters 18, 19, and 20. It went uh, the whole podcast took one hour and 14 minutes, and GarageBand won't let you go that long. It gives you a little four-minute grace window, but basically you've got an hour to play with. And so at the last minute, I had to change the blogs. I had to cut out the offending extra chapter. I was very frustrated. I wanted to give you guys a nice long podcast to make up for uh, the debacle of the the week prior, but there it went. So instead, today is the bonus. Today is three chapters. Yay! Last week, of course, we got to see the two spectacular scenes. Uh, The first... Mrs. Bennett making a complete fool of herself at dinner, um, while Elizabeth kept trying to stop her from talking about what a perfect match Bingley was with Jane, and and then you have Mary performing this just god-awful song and embarrassing herself, and then Mr. Collins steps up to the plate and gives a completely absurd speech. It's just, it's just too galling to believe and poor Elizabeth of course is is there and understands how bad all of this looks and although she's not thinking about it of course we are thinking well good lord how could Darcy ever consider a match with her after after all of this and then it just gets worse because in chapter 19 we get Mr. Collins proposing to Elizabeth again an incredibly funny scene and poor Elizabeth trying so desperately to convince him that she really is serious and she really does mean no and um and he just won't have any of it that's he's he's a lot of fun to watch well today we get the fallout from her refusing uh refusing the marriage proposal which means today the story actually gets a little serious i think I think some critics of Jane Austen have complained because they say, well, it's just this lighthearted romantic drivel and, you know, it's just a, I don't know, a a Danielle Steele for an earlier age. And I really disagree with them because I think Jane Austen is in many ways a social satirist. She points out the absurdity of people like Collins and also uh, Mrs. Bennett. But she's also pointing out the absurdities of the life that these women were forced to lead. You know, it's not fair to call a woman a gold digger, as some of my students have done in the past when we were teaching novels like this. It's not fair to call them a gold digger if the only way that woman is going to be able to survive is to find a rich husband. Luckily, we're not constrained by the same laws and restrictions, social restrictions these days as women in Jane Austen's day were. But I think it is worth noting that in the grand scheme of things, we've only had the freedoms that we've had for less than 100 years. We've only had the vote for less than 100 years. And that these things that we consider rights could very easily be Taken away from us. Um, sometimes people say some strange things out there, and it, it always makes me a little nervous because um, it's not far. It's not a far fall before um, we wind up back, back in Jane Austen's day. So today the story has a little bit of seriousness thrown in, a little more than usual. Doesn't mean it won't be fun. Just means we get some serious, um, serious repercussions from Elizabeth's actions. But of course, it wouldn't be Pride and Prejudice if somebody didn't find out what those words actually mean, and the rest
1: of the book will do that for us. So,
0: without further ado, chapters 20 and 21
1: of Pride and Prejudice. Chapter 20. Mr. Collins was not left long to the silent contemplation of his successful love, for Mrs. Bennet having dawdled about in the vestibule to watch for the end of the conference no sooner saw elizabeth open the door and with quick step pass her towards the staircase than she entered the breakfast-room and congratulated both him and herself in warm terms on the happy prospect of their nearer connection mr collins received and returned these felicitations with equal pleasure and then proceeded to relate the particulars of their interview With the result of which he trusted, he had every reason to be satisfied, since the refusal which his cousin had steadfastly given him would naturally flow from her bashful modesty and the genuine delicacy of her character. This information, however, startled Mrs. Bennet. She would have been glad to be equally satisfied that her daughter had meant to encourage him by protesting against his proposals, but she dared not believe it. could not help saying so but depend upon it mr collins she added that lizzie shall be brought to reason i will speak to her about it directly she is a very headstrong foolish girl and does not know her own interest but i will make her know it pardon me for interrupting you madam cried mr collins but if she is really headstrong and foolish i know not whether she would altogether be a very desirable wife to a man in my situation naturally looks for happiness in the marriage state if therefore she actually persists in rejecting my suit perhaps it were better not to force her into accepting me because if liable to such defects of temper she could not contribute much to my felicity sir you quite misunderstand me said mrs Bennet, alarmed lizzie is only headstrong in such matters as these and everything else she is as good-natured a girl as ever lived I will go directly to Mr. Bennet, and we shall very soon settle it with her, I am sure." She would not give him time to reply, but hurrying instantly to her husband, called out as she entered the library, "'Oh, Mr. Bennet, you are wanted immediately. We are all in an uproar. You must come and make Lizzie marry Mr. Collins, for she vows she will not have him, and if you do not make haste he will change his mind and not have her.' Mr. Bennet raised his eyes from his book as she entered, and fixed them on her face with a calm unconcern, which was not in the least altered by her communication. "'I have not the pleasure of understanding you,' said he, when she had finished her speech. "'Of what are you talking?' "'Of Mr. Collins and Lizzy. Lizzy declares she will not have Mr. Collins, and Mr. Collins begins to say that he will not have Lizzy.' AND WHAT AM I TO DO ON THE OCCASION? IT SEEMS A HOPELESS BUSINESS. SPEAK TO Lizzie ABOUT IT YOURSELF. TELL HER THAT YOU INSIST UPON HER MARRYING HIM. LET HER BE CALLED DOWN. SHE SHALL HEAR MY OPINION." Mrs. Bennet rang the bell, and Miss Elizabeth was summoned to the library. "'Come here, child,' cried her father, as she appeared. "'I HAVE SENT FOR YOU ON AN AFFAIR OF IMPORTANCE. I understand that mr collins has made you an offer of marriage. Is it true? Elizabeth replied that it was. Very well. And this offer of marriage you have refused? I have, sir. Very well. We now come to the point. Your mother insists upon your accepting it. Is it not so, mrs Bennet? Yes, sir. I will never see her again. An unhappy alternative is before you, Elizabeth. FROM THIS DAY YOU MUST BE A STRANGER TO ONE OF YOUR PARENTS. YOUR MOTHER WILL NEVER SEE YOU AGAIN IF YOU DO NOT MARRY MR. COLLINS, AND I WILL NEVER SEE YOU AGAIN IF YOU DO. ELIZABETH COULD NOT BUT SMILE AT SUCH A CONCLUSION OF SUCH A BEGINNING, BUT Missus BENNET, WHO HAD PERSUADED HERSELF THAT HER HUSBAND REGARDED THE AFFAIR AS SHE WISHED, WAS EXCESSIVELY DISAPPOINTED. WHAT DO YOU MEAN, MR. BENNET, IN TALKING THIS WAY? YOU PROMISED ME TO INSIST UPON HER MARRYING HIM. MY DEAR, REPLIED HER HUSBAND, I HAVE TWO SMALL FAVORS TO REQUEST. FIRST, THAT YOU WILL ALLOW ME THE FREE USE OF MY UNDERSTANDING ON THE PRESENT OCCASION, AND SECONDLY, OF MY ROOM. I SHALL BE GLAD TO HAVE THE LIBRARY TO MYSELF AS SOON AS MAY BE. NOT YET, HOWEVER, IN SPITE OF HER DISAPPOINTMENT IN HER HUSBAND, DID MRS. BENNET GIVE UP THE POINT she talked to elizabeth again and again coaxed and threatened her by turns she endeavored to secure jane in her interest but jane with all possible mildness declined interfering and elizabeth sometimes with real earnestness and sometimes with playful gaiety replied to her attacks though her manner varied however her determination never did mr collins meanwhile was meditating in solitude on what had passed he thought too well of himself to comprehend on what motives his cousin could refuse him and though his pride was hurt he suffered in no other way his regard for her was quite imaginary and the possibility of her deserving her mother's reproach prevented his feeling any regret while the family were in this confusion charlotte lucas came to spend the day with them she was met in the vestibule by lydia who flying to her cried in a half whisper i am glad you are come for there is such fun here what do you think has happened this morning mr collins has made an offer to lizzie and she will not have him charlotte hardly had time to answer before they were joined by kitty who came to tell the same news and no sooner had they entered the breakfast room where Mrs. Bennet was alone, then she likewise began on the subject, calling on Miss Lucas for her compassion, and entreating her to persuade her friend Lizzie to comply with the wishes of all her family. "'Pray do, my dear Miss Lucas,' she added in a melancholy tone, "'for nobody is on my side. Nobody takes part with me. "'I am cruelly used. Nobody feels for my poor nerves.' "'Charlotte's reply was spared by the entrance of Jane and Elizabeth. "'Ay, there she comes,' continued Mrs. Bennet, "'looking as unconcerned as may be, "'and caring no more for us than if we were at York, "'provided she can have her own way. "'But I tell you, Miss Lizzie, if you take it into your head "'to go on refusing every offer of marriage in this way, "'you will never get a husband at all.' and I am sure I do not know who is to maintain you when your father is dead. I shall not be able to keep you, and so I warn you. I have done with you from this very day. I told you in the library, you know, that I should never speak to you again, and you will find me as good as my word. I have no pleasure in talking to undutiful children. Not that I have much pleasure indeed in talking to anybody, People who suffer as I do from nervous complaints can have no great inclination for talking. Nobody can tell what I suffer. But it is always so. Those who do not complain are never pitied. Her daughters listened in silence to this effusion, sensible that any attempt to reason with her or soothe her would only increase the irritation. She talked on, therefore, without interruption from any of them, till they were joined by Mr. Collins, who entered the room with an air more stately than usual, and on perceiving whom she said to the girls, Now I do insist upon it that you all of you hold your tongues and let me and Mr. Collins have a little conversation together. Elizabeth passed quietly out of the room, Jane and Kitty followed, but Lydia stood her ground, determined to hear all she could, and Charlotte, detained first by the civility of Mr. Collins, whose inquiries after herself and all her family were very minute, and then, by a little curiosity, satisfied herself with walking to the window and pretending not to hear. In a doleful voice Mrs. Bennet began the projected conversation. Oh, Mr. Collins! My dear madam, replied he, let us be forever silent on this point. Far be it from me, he presently continued in a voice that marked his displeasure, TO RESENT THE BEHAVIOR OF YOUR DAUGHTER. RESIGNATION TO INEVITABLE EVILS IS THE EVIL DUTY OF US ALL, THE PECULIAR DUTY OF A YOUNG MAN WHO HAS BEEN SO FORTUNATE AS I HAVE BEEN IN EARLY PREFERMENT, AND I TRUST I AM RESIGNED. PERHAPS NOT THE LESS SO FROM FEELING A DOUBT OF MY POSITIVE HAPPINESS HAD MY FAIR COUSIN HONORED ME WITH HER HAND, FOR I HAVE OFTEN OBSERVED THAT RESIGNATION IS NEVER SO PERFECT as when the blessing denied begins to lose somewhat of its value in our estimation. You will not, I hope, consider me as showing any disrespect to your family, my dear madam, by thus withdrawing my pretensions to your daughter's favour, without having paid yourself and Mr. Bennet the compliment of requesting you to interpose your authority in my behalf. My conduct may, I fear, be objectionable and having accepted my dismission from your daughter's lips instead of your own. But we are all liable to error. I have certainly meant well through the whole affair. My object has been to secure an amiable companion for myself, with due consideration for the advantage of all your family. And if my manner has been at all reprehensible, I here beg leave to apologize. End of chapter 20 CHAPTER Twenty One. The discussion of Mr. Collins's offer was now nearly at an end, and Elizabeth had only to suffer from the uncomfortable feelings necessarily attending it, and occasionally from some peevish allusions of her mother. As for the gentleman himself, his feelings were chiefly expressed not by embarrassment or dejection, or by trying to avoid her, but by stiffness of manner and resentful silence. He scarcely ever spoke to her, and the assiduous attentions which he had been so sensible of himself were transferred for the rest of the day to Miss Lucas, whose civility in listening to him was a sensible relief to them all, and especially to her friend. The morrow produced no abatement of Mrs. Bennet's ill-humor or ill-health. Mr. Collins was also in the same state of angry pride. Elizabeth had hoped that his resentment might shorten his visit, but his plan did not appear in the least affected by it. He was always to have gone on Saturday, and to Saturday he meant to stay. After breakfast the girls walked to Meryton to inquire if Mr. Wickham were returned, AND TO LAMENT OVER HIS ABSENCE FROM THE NETHERFIELD BALL. HE JOINED THEM ON THEIR ENTERING THE TOWN, AND ATTENDED THEM TO THEIR AUNTS, WHERE HIS REGRET AND VEXATION AND THE CONCERN OF EVERYBODY WAS WELL TALKED OVER. TO ELIZABETH, HOWEVER, HE VOLUNTARILY ACKNOWLEDGED THAT THE NECESSITY OF HIS ABSENCE HAD BEEN SELF-IMPOSED. I FOUND, SAID HE, AS THE TIME DREW NEAR, THAT I HAD BETTER NOT MEET MR. DARCY, THAT TO BE IN THE SAME ROOM, THE SAME PARTY WITH HIM, FOR SO MANY HOURS TOGETHER, MIGHT BE MORE THAN I COULD BEAR, AND THAT SCENES MIGHT ARISE UNPLEASANT TO MORE THAN MYSELF. SHE HIGHLY APPROVED HIS FORBEARANCE, AND THEY HAD LEISURE FOR A FULL DISCUSSION OF IT, AND FOR ALL THE COMMENDATION WHICH THEY civilly BESTOWED ON EACH OTHER as Wickham and another officer walked back with them to Longbourn, and during the walk he particularly attended to her. His accompanying them was a double advantage. She felt all the compliment it offered to herself, and it was most acceptable as an occasion of introducing him to her father and mother. Soon after their return, a letter was delivered to Miss Bennet. It came from Netherfield. The envelope contained a sheet of elegant little hot-pressed paper, well covered with a lady's fair flowing hand, and Elizabeth saw her sister's countenance change as she read it, and saw her dwelling intently on some particular passages. Jane recollected herself soon, and putting the letter away, "'tried to join with her usual cheerfulness "'in the general conversation. "'But Elizabeth felt an anxiety on the subject, "'which drew off her attention even from Wickham, "'and no sooner had he and his companion taken leave "'than a glance from Jane invited her to follow her upstairs. "'When they had gained their own room, "'Jane, taking out the letter, said, "'This is from Caroline Bingley.' "'What it contains has surprised me a good deal. "'The whole party have left Netherfield by this time, "'and are on their way to town, "'and without any intention of coming back again. "'You shall hear what she says.' "'She then read the first sentence aloud, "'which comprised the information "'of their having just resolved "'to follow their brother to town directly, "'and of their meaning to dine in Grosvenor Street.' where Mr. Hurst had a house. The next was in these words, "'I do not pretend to regret anything I shall leave in Hertfordshire, except your society, my dearest friend, but we will hope, at some future period, to enjoy many returns of that delightful intercourse we have known, and in the meanwhile may lessen the pain of separation by a very frequent and most unreserved correspondence.' I depend on you for that. To these high-flown expressions Elizabeth listened with all the insensibility of distrust, and though the suddenness of their removal surprised her, she saw nothing in it really to lament. It was not to be supposed that their absence from Netherfield would prevent Mr. Bingley's being there, and as to the loss of their society, she was persuaded that Jane must cease to regard it in the enjoyment of his. "'It is unlucky,' said she, after a short pause, "'that you should not be able to see your friends "'before they leave the country. "'But may we not hope that the period of future happiness "'to which Miss Bingley looks forward "'may arrive earlier than she is aware, "'and that the delightful intercourse you have known as friends "'will be renewed with yet greater satisfaction as sisters? "'Mr. Bingley will not be detained in London by them.' Caroline decidedly says that none of the party will return into Hertfordshire this winter. I will read it to you. When my brother left us yesterday, he imagined that the business which took him to London might be concluded in three or four days, but as we are certain it cannot be so, and at the same time convinced that when Charles gets to town he will be in no hurry to leave it again, we have determined on following him thither. That he may not be obliged to spend his vacant hours in a comfortless hotel. Many of my acquaintances are already there for the winter. I wish that I could hear that you, my dearest friend, had any intention of making one of the crowd, but of that I despair. I sincerely hope that your Christmas in Hertfordshire may abound in the gaieties which that season generally brings, and that your bows will be so numerous as to prevent your feeling the loss. OF THE THREE OF WHOM WE SHALL DEPRIVE YOU. IT IS EVIDENT BY THIS, ADDED JANE, THAT HE COMES BACK NO MORE THIS WINTER. IT IS ONLY EVIDENT THAT MISS BINGLEY DOES NOT MEAN THAT HE SHOULD. WHY WILL YOU THINK SO? IT MUST BE HIS OWN DOING. HE IS HIS OWN MASTER. BUT YOU DO NOT KNOW ALL. I WILL READ YOU THE PASSAGE WHICH PARTICULARLY HURTS ME. I HAVE NO RESERVES FROM YOU. Mr. Darcy is impatient to see his sister, and to confess the truth, we are scarcely less eager to meet her again. I really do not think Georgiana Darcy has her equal for beauty, elegance, and accomplishments, and the affection she inspires in Louisa and myself is heightened into something still more interesting, from the hope we dare entertain of her being hereafter our sister." I do not know whether I ever before mentioned to you my feelings on this subject, but I will not leave the country without confiding them, and I trust you will not esteem them unreasonable. My brother admires her greatly already. He will have frequent opportunity now of seeing her on the most intimate footing. Her relations all wish the connection, as much as his own, and a sister's partiality is not misleading me, I think, when I call Charles most capable of engaging any woman's heart. With all these circumstances to favor an attachment, and nothing to prevent it, am I wrong, my dearest Jane, in indulging the hope of an event which will secure the happiness of so many? "'What think you of this sentence, my dear Lizzy?' said Jane as she finished it. Is it not clear enough? Does it not expressly declare that Caroline neither expects nor wishes me to be her sister?' THAT SHE IS PERFECTLY CONVINCED OF HER BROTHER'S INDIFFERENCE, AND THAT IF SHE SUSPECTS THE NATURE OF MY FEELINGS FOR HIM, SHE MEANS, MOST KINDLY, TO PUT ME ON MY GUARD. CAN THERE BE ANY OTHER OPINION ON THE SUBJECT? YES, THERE CAN, FOR MINE IS TOTALLY DIFFERENT. WILL YOU HEAR IT? MOST WILLINGLY. YOU SHALL HAVE IT IN A FEW WORDS. MISS BINGLEY SEES THAT HER BROTHER IS IN LOVE WITH YOU, AND WANTS HIM TO MARRY MISS DARCY. She follows him to town in hope of keeping him there, and tries to persuade you that he does not care about you. Jane shook her head. Indeed, Jane, you ought to believe me. No one who has ever seen you together can doubt his affection. Miss Bingley I am sure cannot. She is not such a simpleton. Could she have seen half as much love in Mr. Darcy for herself, she would have ordered her wedding clothes. But the case is this. "'we are not rich enough or grand enough for them, "'and she is the more anxious to get Miss Darcy for her brother "'from the notion that when there has been one intermarriage "'she may have less trouble in achieving a second, "'in which there is certainly some ingenuity, "'and I dare say it would succeed "'if Miss Dubourg were out of the way. "'But, my dearest Jane, you cannot seriously imagine "'that because Miss Bingley tells you "'her brother greatly admires Miss Darcy,' He is in the smallest degree less sensible of your merit than when he took leave of you on tuesday or that it will be in her power to persuade him that instead of being in love with you he is very much in love with her friend if we thought alike of miss bingley replied jane your representation of this might make me quite easy but i know the foundation is unjust caroline is incapable of willfully deceiving any one and all that i can hope in this case "'is that she is deceiving herself. "'That is right. "'You could not have started a more happy idea, "'since you will not take comfort in mine. "'Believe her to be deceived, by all means. "'You have now done your duty by her, "'and must fret no longer. "'But, my dear sister, can I be happy, "'even supposing the best, "'in accepting a man whose sisters and friends "'are all wishing him to marry elsewhere? "'You must decide for yourself,' said Elizabeth. AND IF, UPON MATURE DELIBERATION, YOU FIND THAT THE MISERY OF DISOBLIGING HIS TWO SISTERS IS MORE THAN EQUIVALENT TO THE HAPPINESS OF BEING HIS WIFE, I ADVISE YOU BY ALL MEANS TO REFUSE HIM. HOW CAN YOU TALK SO? SAID JANE, FAINTLY SMILING. YOU MUST KNOW THAT THOUGH I SHOULD BE EXCEEDINGLY GRIEVED AT THEIR DISAPPROBATION, I COULD NOT HESITATE. I DID NOT THINK YOU WOULD, AND THAT BEING THE CASE, I cannot consider your situation with much compassion. But if he returns no more this winter, my choice will never be required. A thousand things may arise in six months." The idea of his returning no more Elizabeth treated with the utmost contempt. It appeared to her merely the suggestion of Caroline's interested wishes, and she could not for a moment suppose that those wishes however openly or artfully spoken, could influence a young man so totally independent of everyone. She represented to her sister, as forcibly as possible, what she felt on the subject, and had soon the pleasure of seeing its happy effect. Jane's temper was not desponding, and she was gradually led to hope, though the diffidence of affection sometimes overcame the hope, "'that Bingley would return to Netherfield "'and answer every wish of her heart. "'They agreed that Mrs. Bennet should only hear "'of the departure of the family "'without being alarmed on the score of the gentleman's conduct. "'But even this partial communication "'gave her a great deal of concern, "'and she bewailed it as exceedingly unlucky "'that the ladies should happen to go away, "'just as they were all getting so intimate together.' After lamenting it, however, at some length, she had the consolation that Mr. Bingley would be soon down again, and soon dining at Longbourn, and the conclusion of all was the comfortable declaration that though he had been invited only to a family dinner, she would take care to have two full courses. End of chapter 21 CHAPTER Twenty Two. The Bennets were engaged to dine with the Lucases, and again during the chief of the day was Miss Lucas, so kind as to listen to Mr. Collins. Elizabeth took an opportunity of thanking her. "'It keeps him in good humor,' said she, "'and I am more obliged to you than I can express.' Charlotte assured her friend of her satisfaction in being useful, and that it amply repaid her for the little sacrifice of her time." This was very amiable, but Charlotte's kindness extended farther than Elizabeth had any conception of. Its object was nothing less than to secure her from any return of Mr. Collins's addresses by engaging them towards herself. Such was Miss Lucas's scheme, and appearances were so favorable that when they parted at night she would have felt almost secure of success, If he had not been to leave Hertfordshire so very soon. But here she did injustice to the fire and independence of his character, for it led him to escape out of Longbourn House the next morning with admirable slyness, and hasten to Lucas Lodge to throw himself at her feet. He was anxious to avoid the notice of his cousins, from a conviction that if they saw him depart, they would not fail to conjecture his design, and he was not willing to have the attempt known till its success might be known likewise. For though feeling almost secure, and with reason, for Charlotte had been tolerably encouraging, he was comparatively diffident since the adventure of Wednesday. His reception, however, was of the most flattering kind. Miss Lucas perceived him from an upper window as he walked towards the house. "'and instantly set out to meet him accidentally in the lane. "'But little had she dared to hope "'that so much love and eloquence awaited her there. "'In as short a time as Mr. Collins's long speeches would allow, "'everything was settled between them to the satisfaction of both, "'and as they entered the house, "'he earnestly entreated her to name the day "'that was to make him the happiest of men, "'and though such a solicitation must be waived for the present,' THE LADY FELT NO INCLINATION TO TRIFLE WITH HIS HAPPINESS. THE STUPIDITY WITH WHICH HE WAS FAVORED BY NATURE MUST GUARD HIS COURTSHIP FROM ANY CHARM THAT COULD MAKE A WOMAN WISH FOR ITS CONTINUANCE, AND MISS LUCAS, WHO ACCEPTED HIM SOLELY FROM THE PURE AND DISINTERESTED DESIRE OF AN ESTABLISHMENT, CARED NOT HOW SOON THAT ESTABLISHMENT WERE GAINED. SIR WILLIAM AND LADY LUCAS WERE SPEEDILY APPLIED TO FOR THEIR CONSENT, and it was bestowed with a most joyful alacrity. Mr. Collins's present circumstances made it a most eligible match for their daughter, to whom they could give little fortune, and his prospects of future wealth were exceedingly fair. Lady Lucas began directly to calculate, with more interest than the matter had ever excited before, how many years longer Mr. Bennet was likely to live and Sir William gave it as his decided opinion that whenever Mr. Collins should be in possession of the Longbourn estate, it would be highly expedient that both he and his wife should make their appearance at St. James's. The whole family, in short, were properly overjoyed on the occasion. The younger girls formed hopes of coming out a year or two sooner than they might otherwise have done and the boys were relieved from their apprehension of Charlotte's dying an old maid. Charlotte herself was tolerably composed. She had gained her point and had time to consider of it. Her reflections were in general satisfactory. Mr. Collins, to be sure, was neither sensible nor agreeable. His society was irksome, and his attachment to her must be imaginary. But still, he would be her husband." Without thinking highly either of men or matrimony, marriage had always been her object. It was the only provision for well-educated young women of small fortune, and however uncertain of giving happiness, must be their pleasantest preservative from want. This preservative she had now obtained, and at the age of twenty-seven, without having ever been handsome, she felt all the good luck of it. The least agreeable circumstance in the business was the surprise it must occasion to Elizabeth Bennet, whose friendship she valued beyond that of any other person. Elizabeth would wonder, and probably would blame her, and though her resolution was not to be shaken, her feelings must be hurt by such a disapprobation. She resolved to give her the information herself, and therefore charged Mr. Collins, when he returned to Longbourn to dinner, TO DROP NO HINT OF WHAT HAD PASSED BEFORE ANY OF THE FAMILY. A PROMISE OF SECRECY WAS OF COURSE VERY DUTIFULLY GIVEN, BUT IT COULD NOT BE KEPT WITHOUT DIFFICULTY, FOR THE CURIOSITY EXCITED BY HIS LONG ABSENCE BURST FORTH IN SUCH VERY DIRECT QUESTIONS ON HIS RETURN AS REQUIRED SOME INGENUITY TO EVADE, AND HE WAS AT THE SAME TIME EXERCISING GREAT SELF-DENIAL, for he was longing to publish his prosperous love. As he was to begin his journey too early on the morrow to see any of the family, the ceremony of leave taking was performed when the ladies moved for the night, and Mrs. Bennet, with great politeness and cordiality, said how happy they should be to see him at Longbourn again whenever his engagements might allow him to visit them. My dear madam, he replied, This invitation is particularly gratifying, because it is what I have been hoping to receive, and you may be very certain that I shall avail myself of it as soon as possible. They were all astonished, and Mr. Bennet, who could by no means wish for so speedy a return, immediately said, "'But is there not danger of Lady Catherine's disapprobation here, my good sir?' you had better neglect your relations than run the risk of offending your patroness. "'My dear sir,' replied Mr. Collins, "'I am particularly obliged to you for this friendly caution, and you may depend upon my not taking so material a step without her ladyship's concurrence. "'You cannot be too much upon your guard. "'Risk anything rather than her displeasure, "'and if you find it likely to be raised by your coming to us again,' which I should think exceedingly probable, stay quietly at home, and be satisfied that we shall take no offense. Believe me, my dear sir, my gratitude is warmly excited by such affectionate attention, and depend upon it, you will speedily receive from me a letter of thanks for this, and for every other mark of your regard. During proper civilities the ladies then withdrew, all of them equally surprised that he meditated a quick return mrs Bennet wished to understand by it that he thought of paying his addresses to one of her younger girls and mary might have been prevailed on to accept him she rated his abilities much higher than any of the others there was a solidity in his reflections which often struck her and though by no means so clever as herself She thought that if encouraged to read and improve himself by such an example as hers, he might become a very agreeable companion. But on the following morning, every hope of this kind was done away. Miss Lucas called soon after breakfast, and in a private conference with Elizabeth, related the event of the day before. The possibility of Mr. Collins's fancying herself in love with her friend had once occurred to Elizabeth within the last day or two. But that Charlotte could encourage him seemed almost as far from possibility as she could encourage him herself, and her astonishment was consequently so great as to overcome at first the bounds of decorum, and she could not help crying out, "'Engage to Mr. Collins! My dear Charlotte, impossible!' The steady countenance which Miss Lucas had commanded telling her story gave way to a momentary confusion here on receiving so direct a reproach though as it was no more than she expected she soon regained her composure and calmly replied why should you be so surprised my dear eliza do you think it incredible that mr collins should be able to procure any woman's good opinion because he was not so happy as to succeed with you But Elizabeth had now recollected herself, and, making a strong effort for it, was able to assure with tolerable firmness that the prospect of their relationship was highly grateful to her, and that she wished her all imaginable happiness. "'I see what you are feeling,' replied Charlotte. "'You must be surprised, very much surprised, so lately as Mr. Collins was wishing to marry you. But when you have had time to think it over,' "'I hope you will be satisfied with what I have done. "'I am not romantic, you know. I never was. "'I ask only a comfortable home, "'and considering Mr. Collins's character, "'connection, and situation in life, "'I am convinced that my chance of happiness with him "'is as fair as most people can boast "'on entering the marriage state.' "'Elizabeth quietly answered, "'Undoubtedly, and after an awkward pause, "'they returned to the rest of the family.' Charlotte did not stay much longer, and Elizabeth was then left to reflect on what she had heard. It was a long time before she became at all reconciled to the idea of so unsuitable a match. The strangeness of Mr. Collins's making two offers of marriage within three days was nothing in comparison of him being now accepted. She had always felt that Charlotte's opinion of matrimony was not exactly like her own, BUT SHE HAD NOT SUPPOSED IT TO BE POSSIBLE THAT WHEN CALLED INTO ACTION SHE WOULD HAVE SACRIFICED EVERY BETTER FEELING TO WORLDLY ADVANTAGE. CHARLOTTE, THE WIFE OF MR. COLLINS, WAS A MOST HUMILIATING PICTURE, AND TO THE PANG OF A FRIEND DISGRACING HERSELF AND SUNK IN HER ESTEEM WAS ADDED THE DISTRESSING CONVICTION THAT IT WAS IMPOSSIBLE FOR THAT FRIEND TO BE TOLERABLY HAPPY IN THE LOT SHE HAD CHOSEN. End of chapter 22.
0: I hope you enjoyed chapters 20 through 22, and I hope you come back next week for 23 and 24. As always, I'd like to thank Annie Coleman for her reading of the book, and thank you to Josh Christian, who did Chasing Hero. You can find a blog for this podcast at craftlit.blogspot.com or craftlit.libsyn.com. That's craftlit, C-R-A-F-T-L-I-T, all one word, and Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N. And of course, you can subscribe at iTunes. And do remember, if your hands are too busy to
1: pick up a book, at least you can turn one on.